Welcome to On the Street. I'm your host, Dwayne Street, the Chief of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Leander ISD. We're trying something new. You're listening to the inaugural podcast for the Office of DEI, and we see this as an opportunity to continue the conversation around educational access and to highlight our efforts around increasing cultural competency for all staff. Our work is about bringing people into the conversation and increasing dialectical practice. As we observe Hispanic Heritage Month, I took the opportunity to invite Dr. Sally Sosa, the newly minted principal of River Ridge Elementary, to speak about her journey and the significance of the month here in Leander ISD and for the entire country. And in future episodes, you hear more about our efforts to enhance cultural competency, and also we'll be bringing forward people who are our access points in our system for all of our students. I hope you enjoy our first episode and this conversation with Dr. Sally Sosa. So, so I just want to have a conversation. I would just like to just tee up a couple of questions and have you go wherever you want to go in answering those questions, okay? Okay, sounds All good. Right. So the first question is, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to this point. Absolutely. Um, so as you said, Sally Sosa, mm -hmm. and I am um, the new principal at River Ridge Elementary. Go River Ridge. And yes, the Rattlers, <laughs> go Rattlers. Right. I am so happy to be a Rattler, um, and it has been such a welcoming community already, yeah. and it has been such a privilege, privilege to serve them um, in this way. I um, have been with the district, I wanna say I'm going now on my fifth year. Okay. Um, so before River Ridge, mm -hmm. I was the assistant principal at Blockhouse Creek Elementary. Yes. And we like to say once a bear, always a bear. <laughs> so even though I'm a rattler now down in my heart, I certainly am yes. a bear. Yes. Um, and that was a very meaningful and, and great experience there with the staff and with the leader, Dr. Katie. Um, but that was my, my first go with our district. Um, really? I started out as an assistant principal. Um, there are many in our district who are privileged to be um, uh, teachers and ICs yeah. and APs and principal yeah. and go that route. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel really blessed and honored to be, to, to be part of this already as an yes. AP and then a principal. <laughs> um, before then, I, I worked in private schools and I started out my teaching in Houston. You did? HISD, I sure yeah. did. What did you teach? So I started out as a, a special education aide, and that was fantastic. Um, and then one fine day, the principal popped her head in and asked if I wanted to teach third grade wow. math and science. I was like, yes, I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> anything you have. I was ready to go for it. Um, and so that started off my, um, my, my teaching journey or as far as my yeah. career. Um, but education was always something mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I wanted to be a part of. Um, mm -hmm. Why? Right after high school. Why, I, was oh. Why was education so important? You know, I've, I've had a lot of time to reflect <laughs> on that. And it's interesting because you would think that perhaps maybe it was something that my parents were mm -hmm. like driving me forward with or 
or just like the value of education in that way. But it really was kind of a, a gentle nudge towards it or a behind the scenes okay. kind of push towards it because there never was any pressure okay. um, to pursue academics really in any way. Um, but there was just this drive that I had to, to keep learning, to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, even though at time there were some fear, there was some fear with that. And tell me about the fear. Yeah. So? so I think really it stemmed from maybe never having complete confidence in my mm -hmm. abilities. Um, there was always a little bit of self-doubt in, in what I felt I was able to do. Stephen Brookville calls that impostorship. Sure. Yes, yes. yes. exactly. Which yeah. I experienced too. So I, I totally understand that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think spot on that that ties to a lot of the the sacrifices that my parents made as far as that that gentle nudge in education. Um, I was put in private schools my whole life um, because they definitely valued the mm -hmm. education that that could offer and had the hopes of it changing what I could achieve. Um, and that that was their their belief behind putting me in private education. Um, but with that certainly came a very stark difference of who I am and who the students that typically attend private schools. Yes, yes. Um, we looked different, we sounded mm -hmm. different. And um, so there was a disconnect. There was a disconnect. You quickly were able to feel and learn that there was an expected way for you to behave mm -hmm. and an expected way for you to speak mm -hmm. and sound and yes. dress yes. and the way that you handled yourself. And um, a lot of the, the ways that maybe tied into that cultural or ethnic piece that I grew up with didn't always match that expectation in the setting that I was in. And I think that that caused a lot of that self-doubt and a lot of the um, that fear of mm -hmm. just, I understand that I do have to adapt who I am in this moment in order to fit the mold of success in this space. And that that was hard as a child. Oh, that was hard as a child. I it's totally hard now. Yeah. Um, but kind of looking back and, and recognizing now that that was something my parents knew and put in place for me. Um, and so, and that's why I, I said it was that sacrifice of, mm -hmm. okay, we understand that this is going to make some changes in her life, changes in how she perceives herself, her identity, her ethnic identity, her culture, but in the long run, this will help her be successful. Um, and so along with that came, let's not teach her Spanish, even though mm -hmm. my household speaks Spanish. Yes. Um, they. In their mind, they they believed they were protecting me from having an accent, and from and, potential bias because and, accents, accent mm -hmm. bias is real, right? It is. Yeah, it it's is. It's unfortunate, but it is a thing. Right, mm -hmm. and I think we've come a long way since we then. Have. Yes. Um, but that was a that was a relevant fear at that time, and mm. um, so not being able to speak Spanish was also a big part of mm. how I developed my identity with my culture because that's a big part. Yeah. And if you look just at the definition of culture, language is the big one. <laughs> and yes, it is. not having that language and still mm. being, trying to tie yourself to that culture was interesting to learn and, and walk through. Do you feel like it was in, in some respects like being on an island 
culturally within your culture you're on an island because the bridge to the mainland is the language and 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 once again your story is consistent with so many Mm -hmm. um communities you don't want your child to learn anything or be exposed to anything that could make them different and thus make them a target and then they suffer discrimination so i understand that but do you feel that you were somewhat on an island? I do. There, um, it was something that made me different in both worlds. Excellent point. Yes. Yeah. And yes. it was that made me not completely fit in with my culture and not the way that I looked and also and just being different also helped me not fit in completely mm-hmm. with the private school setting that, that I was in. Um, so it... It was interesting. Yeah. It was interesting to navigate through. Um, and and there was a lot of times where I didn't feel like I belonged mm-hmm. anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that showed up strongly in my academics too, with, with not, if you don't feel like you belong in a space, and it may not always be because of the interactions that you ha- you're having with your peers, because they were lovely. Yes. Or the interactions that you were having with your teachers, although some were. Um, it was just the the notion that you are starting off with the feeling like you don't belong anywhere. Right. right. And that has a big impact with, with how you approach an academic setting. And how you invest. Mm-hmm. You know, I know um, there have been times in, in my academic journey where I was one of only a few students of color in the class. Right. And, and you do feel like you're sticking out, you're being judged. But, but then I had some really great teachers, and this is where cultural competency is so important, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where they saw where I was, and they didn't see me as an African-American so much as they saw me as Dwayne, who happened right. to be African-American. Right. And because they, they honored who I was, but, it, but because of the way they approached it, I didn't feel like I was outside anymore. Right. But there were some teachers who, who I didn't experience that with. And, mm-hmm. and to your point, in their classes, I did not invest myself the way that I could have, and that showed up in my academic performance. Right. So cultural competency and student outcomes are really connected. Absolutely. And I, I think it's important for everybody to understand that. Absolutely. There, there are some times when you, and I wonder, this is like my mm-hmm. big wondering, if, if I wasn't so focused in on blending in and like how much would that have impacted my like being able to draw from the power of of my culture and my identity mm-hmm. if i wasn't so focused with trying yeah. to just blend in and not draw any attention to my differences yes. um and some teachers naturally bring that out and mm-hmm. and help you express who you are mm-hmm. and um realize that those wonderful characteristics that you already have and are built with are something that adds value to yes. the classroom um and some are content with the blending in. And you know mm-hmm. what? We're doing our day-to-day and it's perfect and we are moving forward. And that's also great. But there are some beautiful teachers who can really, really invest in who you are and what your identity is and bring that to the, to the space. I think that's, that's really beautiful because it's so true. And I think about my second grade teacher. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that. Mrs. Yeah. B. Phil. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> so moving on to, to our, our next conversation point um i think you kind of talked about it but i really would like to get your opinion about why it's important for all of us to observe hispanic heritage month why is that so important 
Right. Um, well, I certainly value the highlighting and the celebration <coughs> of the Latino or Latina culture. Mm -hmm. um, but I certainly believe that it can absolutely go deeper than that. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I think right now, and especially with this opportunity and continuing on, I think LASD has a really unique opportunity to deepen our understanding of the history that comes with that, the experiences that come with that, and then also able to tie that into yes. our educational experience because those are intertwined often. It's, it's almost so hard to separate your personal experiences with your educational experiences. Um, so it's, it's a really unique opportunity mm -hmm. that LASD has to, to go beyond just the highlighting of it and to really offer opportunities for us to share our experiences and how that has moved us in our journey. Um, so I, I value that and I mm -hmm. think that it's beautiful work because so many of us within the Latinx community are so different mm -hmm. and we identify in such beautiful and different ways mm -hmm. that it's it's not only fair just to highlight it, but also let's discuss those differences within our community and see the strength behind those. Because I am a Latina, but you notice I say Latina, not Latina, <laughs> because I'm different and I had different experiences, but it doesn't make me less of a Latina. I completely agree. And I love the fact that you're highlighting the diversity within the community, mm -hmm. because one of the things that we try to do in Leander, you know, observing these months is important. But how do we really connect it back to the practitioner and the student? Right. Exactly. I think that's really important, especially now that our demographics are changing so, yes. so fast. Yes. And it's exciting. And how do we provide our practitioners with the tools to meet that reality? Right. You know, that they see in their classrooms. I think moments like this are important, mm -hmm. but tying it back to the curriculum, Absolutely. finding ways to celebrate and to embed into what we do. Because at the end of the day, I want DEI work to not be a standalone. Right. I simply want it to be what we do. Exactly. Yeah. And even just broader, broadening our understanding of the education system as a whole mm -hmm. and how, you know, these standards and these expectations have been set for quite some mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And really just being intentional with uncovering the ways that these educational standards have shaped who we are along mm -hmm. the way mm -hmm. and being open to the idea that sometimes those are really rigid <laughs> and students are having to adjust who they are to yes. meet those expectations. And if we are aware of that yes. and having conversations about it, then we can really start digging into those finer pieces of the curriculum and, and our just our pedagogy and our instruction, because we can start including just the identification of that process yes. and just recognizing that it has shaped who we are and at what cost. And, and I think, you know, I, I read part of your dissertation and, and I think you do a wonderful job of communicating the unintentional cost mm -hmm. uh, of that journey. Um, and I, I hope to have you back to, to continue talking <laughs> about that one. Always. But, but, but I do have another question. Though. Yes. Um, how has your identity impacted your journey as an educator and a leader? And what have you learned about yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so going through the process of, of learning 
really just reflecting on my experiences and learning how my culture has shaped my identity mm -hmm. has kind of, it ties back into it, just has really made me aware of all of the ways in which I have adapted and I have changed in order to, to be successful. Um, and there are parts of that that are so great <laughs> and there are parts of that that I wish I still had. Mm. Um, That's very honest. You, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a very grueling process to kind of take a deep look at why, why do I identify in this way as a Latina? Mm -hmm. um, and is that okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what have I, what have I let go of? What have I had, what have I had to kind of remove from myself in order to be who I am today? And what am I lacking? So just a lot of questions going through that process. Um, and uncovering bits and pieces of my family story has been really amazing through this process because there's a lot of powerful things and powerful women in my life and recognizing their impact on me as well has been really big on this journey. Um, so there's, yeah, it's been, a lot, it's been good. It, it had to be one of the most reflective journeys that any human can go on when mm -hmm. you look back. <clears throat> I think about my journey and and some of the things that, to your point, you you compromise um, without knowing. Mm -hmm. But then as you get deeper into your journey, you look back and say, was that the right decision? Right. And I think it's, it's normal for people to have that. Um, you also shared the story with me about your grandmother. Yes. Um, who would write your grandfather letters using yes. soup cans. Yes. Yeah, please share that. Oh my word, yes. Oh, she's so impressive. So um, I it, I learned all this when I was going through one of my graduate studies when I was becoming a, a reading specialist. And I, I didn't really know it at the time, which is interesting to me, um, but as I was going through that process, my mom shared stories about her mother-in-law and how she was illiterate mm -hmm. and Thinking about that, that was already very shocking to me. Um, I was in a privileged space of getting my master's in reading instruction and becoming a reading specialist when my grandmother yes. was illiterate. And that was huge for me to learn in that stage. And I had so many questions. And so um, I was able to sit down with my grandmother and just learn more about it. And I recorded her. It was so lovely. And she told to her story. Powerful. Oh, it was. Mm -hmm. And um, she met my grandfather when they were very young. They lived across from each other, but they <laughs> did not have anything to do with each other at that time. When he went off to war and when he would come back to visit, he would attempt to make a connection with my grandfather. I think they were called it courting. Courting, right yes, <laughs> they were courting. And um, fell in love and got married. But when he went back to the war, there was no way for them to communicate with her not being able to read and write. Mm. Um, she Talk was, about a barrier. Yes, mm. right. And so isolation, I mean, just mm -hmm. all of the things. Um, but my, my grandfather could, he could read and write. So he would write her letters 
and my great grandmother would read them to my grandmother mm. and and then would write letters for her back mm. to her husband. So it skipped a generation. So your great grandmother was literate, mm -hmm. but your grandmother was not. Right. Wow. Yes. And that just goes back to the variances in yes. all, of, yes. all of our experiences. Yes. Um, and she she got a little embarrassed with the transaction of her mother-in-law reading letters from her husband. <laughs> So she took it upon herself to find any words that she could from soup cans, anything around the house, and she would just copy down these words and send it to her husband. They made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> there was no rhyme or reason right. to these letters. But to my grandfather, they were everything. It was her attempt. They meant the world to him. It was, mm -hmm. yes, it was her attempt to mm -hmm. communicate. Mm -hmm. And that's how she could do it. And that story amazed me. That is a powerful woman um, yes, who it, didn't yes, have is. all of the skills that someone mm -hmm. would say you would need to be successful. Mm -hmm. But to me, that was grit. <laughs> that was work. And she found a way. Work. And um, I do believe that when my grandfather came back, he was able to help teach her to read and write. I don't know how, how you know, mastered she was in that skill but it's a story that she she loved to share with us and and i was sad that it took me that long to learn it you know i, I think the the lesson for me when you were sharing that is how important educational access is right you know because it can transform lives in ways that until you are denied that access you truly can't appreciate and learning about your grandmother it i'm sure it was very illuminating mm -hmm. and it also gave your work a new sense of meaning and purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the power of history. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm going back to your point. I, exactly. I love history. So the last question I have for mm -hmm. you, well, I actually have two very short ones. The sure. first, what advice would you give yourself as a teenager? Knowing everything you know now. Yeah. Yep. Being Dr. Sally Sussman, oh, yes. being a principal. <laughs> What advice would you give your teenage self? There are so many things. <laughs> there are so many things I would tell my teenage self. Um, but I think the most important would be do the work of becoming comfortable with who you are. Whatever that work is. For me, it took a long time and the work was in my PhD studies. <laughs> That's a long time in the journey. Um, Very cathartic. start young. Mm -hmm. Ask the questions, learn your family's history because yes. there's power and beauty in it. And that can help you as you're becoming who you are. Um, and I wish I would have done that at that age. Very well stated. Yeah. I think a lot of people can identify with that, Dr. Sosa. Yeah. And the last question is, mm -hmm. who did you admire growing up and why this person? <laughs> growing up, it, it would certainly be my sister, my oh, older sister. Wow. She is... Um, seven years older than me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I looked up to her, mm -hmm. like, of course, like just, <laughs> she was everything. But it was mostly about the confidence that she had. Um, just, she felt like she can do anything. Wow. And being her sister, I wondered, why don't I feel like that? <laughs> we have to say, like, our experiences are very similar. And I, I just don't have that confidence. And I, I respected that. And I was in awe of it. And if anyone questioned that in her, she would show them. <laughs> and that impressed me so much. And so I, I certainly always looked up to that. And um, now, like in the stage that we're at, and when she is 
just encouraging me or um, celebrating where I am now. It's it's beautiful because mm -hmm. that was always how I saw her. And yes. so it's just it's just a beautiful relationship and certainly someone that I will always look up to. I have an older sister, too. Her name is Barbara. She is, when I was a kid, and still is, was larger in life. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. her confidence, her exuberance. Yeah. There were things that I wanted to emulate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I often wondered, why didn't I get all of I know. It? I mean, she was fearless. They took it all. Yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> but we got there. <laughs> we did. Eventually. Well, Dr. Sosa, this it has been an honor visiting with you today. Thank you. I could not have chosen a better person to inaugurate <laughs> oh, our podcast. Um, we will definitely have you back because I would love to continue to learn about your dissertation, about your work. And I, I'm so thankful that you're here in Leander and I'm honored to be one of your peers. Thank you so much. This has Thank been you, great. Thank you, Dr. Sosa. Thank you.